Morning, church. Is he your living hope this morning? Ten of you said yes. That's great. <laughs> Jesus Christ, our living hope. Where would we be? If, if we watch the news and we spend time camped out in front of the television and hear what this world has to offer, boy, what a sad reality that would be. But Jesus Christ is our living hope. So I want you to imagine something for a moment this morning, okay? This is a little different, but I want you to imagine just for a moment being a missionary named Gulliver, okay? Just imagine you're this missionary named Gulliver, and you're going to evangelize Lilliput, okay? And as you visit this foreign land, you soon discover that these people are concerned with very trivial things. I mean, they're so concerned with just little insignificant things. In fact, they have these political debates, catch this, over which end of the egg to crack. So these people dress different than you do. They're, they have different cultural realities than you do. They listen to different music than you do. And they even disagree with your political opinions. Imagine that. But you want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want them to be saved. You want them to inherit eternal life. So what are you going to do to reach the people of Lilliput? I got an idea. First, we're going to take them out clothes shopping. Because the clothes they're wearing just won't get them into heaven. Okay, then we're going to teach them music theory. Because the music they're listening to isn't going to get them into heaven. And finally, we're going to belittle them about their political views until they finally come around to thinking right like we do. After all, I bet you that's what Robert Morrison, the first missionary to China, did to reach those folks, right? Keep that thought in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me two places this morning. First, turn to Galatians chapter 2, put a bookmark or finger something there. And then turn on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we continue in that verse-by-verse verse study. Really quick, as you're turning to those two places, let's just catch up where we were from last week. Remember last week was that great message on denying self, right? Denying self. And Paul started out by saying, I'm an apostle and I have all these rights as an apostle, but I lay down my rights for the cause of Christ. And because I can lay down my rights as an apostle, Paul is telling the Corinthians, so lay down your rights to eat meat, sacrifice to idols. Lay down your rights to have all these liberties if it causes your brothers and sisters to stumble. Then Paul went on to say, you know, I'm a tent maker by trade, so I don't accept any financial support from the churches. But then we ended talking about self-denial. And self-denial's got to be the toughest thing within our Christian walks because we, by the way, want to be on the throne of our own lives, right? I don't want anyone telling me, you're not the boss of me. And we said self-denial starts when we take self, crucify him or her, and put Christ on the throne of our lives. And by the way, we don't die easy. And so today, Paul's going to talk about reaching people where they are. Reaching people right where they are with the gospel of Christ. We're not going to dress them right to come to church. We're not going to tell them to change their political views to come to church. We're going to try to reach them right where they are. And then, I know this is a crazy thought, let the Holy Spirit grow them up. Right? Let the Holy Spirit do the work in their hearts. 
And so if you have your sermon notes, they're in your bulletins, Roman numeral one, winning souls, winning souls. If your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's begin at verse 19. The Apostle Paul said, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ. Why? That I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do, catch this, for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of it with you. You know, it's something that Paul felt so free, so free in his walk with Christ that he was able just to lay down all his own desires. He was able to do this because he said, I can serve all people. I have the freedom to do anything, and I'm going to choose to be servant of all. Choose. Instead of using my freedom selfishly and causing others to stumble, I want to serve you. How can I serve you? I have said before, you know when you don't want to be a servant of Christ? When someone treats you like a slave. That's when you know you don't want to be a servant of Christ. But Paul here very clearly lays out his mission statement. This is what I'm all about. I know time is short. I don't care about me at all. I want to reach as many people as I possibly can to accomplish the mission of the gospel being spread. Flip on over to Galatians chapter 2 with me. Galatians chapter 2, and as you're turning there, let's talk about a couple of things here. Back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, five times Paul says, my aim is to win people. Five times, that I might win the more, that I might win the Jews, that I might win those under the law, that I might win those without the law, that I might win the weak. And so when Paul said to the Jews, I become a Jew that I might win the Jews, my question is, was Paul contradicting himself? Because Paul is the one, if you remember, that he was always going up against those legalists that, that thought that they somehow could earn God's favor by keeping the law. And yet here he says, to the Jews, I become a Jew that I might win the Jews. Is he contradicting himself? If you got your Bibles open there, Galatians chapter 2, pick it up at verse 11. One of my favorite stories about Paul, by the way. It says, now when Peter came down to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Stop there for a minute. What does that look like? When Peter came on down to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, for he was to be blamed. Man, there's the love of Jesus. <laughs> for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with his, their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? 
we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So go on back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for a minute. Now, when Paul was with the Gentiles, he did not observe the Jewish laws or rites because it had been decided earlier that at the Jerusalem Council that the Jews did not have to fulfill the Mosaic dietary laws and other laws. Acts 15.24, this was the council they had. Since we heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you do well. Listen to the words of Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith said, People sought to win Christ by being sensitive to their needs and identifying with them. We should try to meet people where they are today and then expect the Holy Spirit to change them later. The results are not our problem. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you hear these folks, you know, dress right to come to church, do this to come to church, do that to come to church. I remember a baccalaureate in a small town that I preached in. And if you don't know what a baccalaureate is, go look it up. Small towns do it all the time. But I was supposed to preach, and there were six churches together at this one local church, and I was supposed to preach to the graduates. And I remember this one graduate walked in, and he had huge gauges in his ear, and he was tatted to here, to here, to here. And I mean, this kid's 18-year-old kid, he walked in the door, and they told him, as he walked in the door for his baccalaureate, take those gauges out of your ear, or you cannot stay. He promptly turned around and left. I was so upset with those other pastors. How do you know that that kid wasn't going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that very night and get saved? Now, personally, I don't get gauges. I don't like them, whatever. But that's on you when you have to get cosmetic surgery down the road. That's your choice. But to turn somebody away because of a cultural thing, that's disgusting. Notice Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might by some means save some. Look at your notes there. This is not saying Paul's message changed or that he compromised biblical values, but Paul did not allow his cultural bias to interfere with reaching people for Christ. Again, once they get saved, trust me, the Holy Spirit, if you truly have the Holy Spirit... He is not leaving you where you were when you got saved. He's going to drag you, push you, prompt you, challenge you. You will change if you're truly saved. Let's save them 
smelling like fish, and let's let God clean them up. I don't know. What a crazy thought. But we must determine the difference. Here it is. Of cultural and biblical things when we're insisting on lifestyles from Christians. Is it a cultural thing? Or is that clearly in the Bible? We can't insist on people from Lilliput living like people from Klamath Falls. We just can't. They're not the same. And notice, Paul wasn't a man pleaser. He wasn't a politician. But he was sensitive to where people were so that he could reach them with the gospel. And again, then allow the Holy Spirit to change them. But there's something else Paul was careful with. And this is the, the other side of the same coin, right? Paul was careful that those he was evangelizing didn't pull him down into their sin rather than him pulling them up into his righteousness. This is why Paul's going to say later as we get there, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You see, I know that, you know, back in the 50s, they would have probably thrown me off the stage for this, but the method of reaching people with the gospel has to change with the times. The method. Don't throw something at me. Wait till I'm done. But the gospel message can never change because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the method has to change. You know, back in the 50s, sure, you could fling open the doors and just say, come on in, Sunday, go to meeting, and I mean, you'd fill the building up. But not so today. Not so. And so our methods have to change, but the message can never change. And, and so Gordon Fee said this, this passage has often been looked to for the idea of accommodations within evangelism. That is, adopting the message to certain languages and perspectives to reach people. Catch this. This has to do with how one lives their lives and behaves as a Christian. In other words, there in your notes, don't let your lives and your lips preach two different messages. You see, the biggest difference between Jews and Gentiles, of course, they had the covenants and they had the laws. And Paul was careful to know his audience. If he's going into a Gentile town, he's not going to go in there and tell them, hey, observe the 613 laws or you can't come to Christ. He wasn't going to do that. His approach had to change. Again, Paul had all these freedoms. But he was careful not to use his freedoms to stumble people. Notice again verse 23. Why does he do it? For the sake of the gospel. Why do you do what you do? For the sake of the gospel. He knew that his witness for Christ would be damaged if he didn't demonstrate love and concern and reach these people right where they were. If you try to clean them up to bring them to church, all you're doing is asking them to join a religion not enter into a relationship with Christ. You see, gospel means good news. And let me tell you, is it good news to say, your clothes are all wrong, your politics are all wrong, your everything's all wrong, come to Jesus and get right? Wow, really? You see, the gospel, when you boil it down to its simple definition, it's the doctrine of imputation. Romans 4.20, he, Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had been promised, he was also able to perform. That's Jesus. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Now it is written not only for his sake, but for ours as well, that it was imputed to him. It shall be imputed to us who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that was raised from the dead. The bottom line of the gospel, we're going to study it when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says this. Paul said, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. There's the gospel. You notice it didn't say anything about cultural within that message. That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose again. And again, I'm not up here telling you I want to see people walk in here all kinds of crazy dress and everything else. But what I'm saying is let God save them where they are and then he'll work it out. All right, so let's go on. Roman numeral 2, run the race. Look at verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. You know, Paul uses competitions 12 different times within his letters. And I love how he uses this. He uses it runners and boxers and gladiators and chariot racers and trophies and He's saying to the Corinthian Christians, look, run the race. You, you got to understand, they would be very familiar with the original Greek Olympics. So when Paul's talking about a runner in a race, they've got this picture in their mind. They know all about it. And so when he uses this metaphor, they're catching on. And Paul's explaining, listen, there's only one first place winner in any race. You don't get a participation trophy in the Greek Olympics, right? You're not going to get that. But he's saying there's one place, one first place runner. And so he says, run the competition in such a way that you come in first place. There in your notes, Wearsby said, an athlete must be disciplined if he is to win the prize. Discipline means giving up the good and the better for the best. The athlete must watch his diet as well as his hours. So you think about this, if you're going to run a race, and you know, you could tell by my physique that I run a lot of races, right? Don't laugh too much. But anyway, if I was to become a long distance runner, I'm going to have to shed, you know, 50 pounds, I'm going to have to start working out, I'm going to have to discipline my body, and I'm going to have to do all these different things. Training and discipline to be a long distance runner, and some of you who run understand that. Training and discipline is also needed to live a life the way Jesus called us to. You can't just go about it willy-nilly and think that you're going to have this great walk in Christ. All you got to do is just show up. Listen, we're in a battle. Folks, we're in a battle. Only, catch this, this is something else that's so neat. Only Greek citizens could compete in the original Olympic Games. Think about this. Only Greek citizens. So only a citizen of heaven can run in the race that Paul's talking about. Paul is not referring to run in this race so you can earn salvation. No, he's saying because you're saved, because you're already a Christian, run in such a way. It's not a competition to get saved. It's a competition because you already are saved. A Christian does not train and discipline to earn heaven, but he trains and disciplines as a thankful response of love 
I am so thankful for what Jesus has done, the one who gave his life for me, so I'm going to train and discipline and run in such a way. So here's a couple of bad words within Christianity. You ready? Write these down. Self-effort never pleases the Lord. And everyone went, yeah, all right. But here's the next one. But neither does laziness. There in your notes, the Lord deserves excellence in all we do for him, in our worship, in our service, in our evangelism. But we are co-laborers with the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish the task. You understand? God doesn't want your self-effort at all. He wants you to die to self. But God also doesn't want laziness. You know, when people say, I'm only a volunteer, so I don't have to give that job all the effort I would give my paying job. What a disgrace. I'm only a volunteer to the king of kings? I'm only a volunteer to the kingdom of heaven? I'm only a volunteer. Oh, really? You, you understand? Self-effort. God hates it. But he hates laziness as well. We don't serve empowered by self. We serve empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we do it from a thankful, grateful heart. All right, Roman numeral three, why we serve, receive the crown. Look at verse 25. The Apostle Paul says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Temperate, in this context, refers again to Roman athletes and that they would train for 10 full months before they would go to the Olympics. There in your notes, temperate means self-controlled. Strong's Concordance says that these were athletes who, in preparing for the games, abstained from unwholesome food, wine, and sexual indulgence. So Paul's reassuring these Christians, look, they're competing for silver and gold and bronze. But we, we're competing for an imperishable crown. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish or without spot. You understand the difference? You get a gold medal, and when this world burns up with fervent heat, that thing is going to melt. But the crown you're going to get from the Lord Jesus Christ is imperishable. It's going to last forever and ever, and then a thousand years past ever. There are five different crowns mentioned in Scripture, and someday we'll get a chance to do a big study on them, but I'll just mention them real quickly. For those who faithfully serve Jesus Christ, there's five crowns mentioned. The imperishable crown we got here, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of life. One of my favorite parts of teaching through the book of Revelation, and I've taught through it five times, I think, is this, this glassy sea that all the Christians come upon and lay down their golden crowns. Revelation 4, 6 before their throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 
The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and catch this, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Picture this. If what you do earns you a crown, it's only because the Holy Spirit did it through you. If you did it on your own, if you did it through self-effort, it's going to burn up at the beam of seat judgment. So picture this. Billions of us are around the throne of Christ and the glassy sea that's like crystal. And we all bow down and take off our crowns and we lay them at the feet of the Lamb who's the only one worthy to be praised. Unto you, O Lord, you're the only one worthy to be praised. What we did meant nothing. We couldn't have done it without you. Picture this scene, and then they're all praising God and laying down their crowns. Man, someone say amen. Anybody? <laughs> so there's four steps of worship we'll go over real quick as we're sitting there at the throne. And you can even close your eyes and just imagine yourself before the throne room of the Lamb this morning. That glassy sea, that emerald rainbow, and he who sits on the throne forever and ever and ever. First, they give glory, honor, and thanks. Psalms 107.8, let him who give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. B, they're confessing his attributes as they're worshiping. And, and you could do this on your own, by the way, right? You're eternal. God, you're all-powerful. You're full of mercy and grace. You're all-knowing. C, they fall down in humble submission and worship. Humble submission and worship. Every creature ever created has two choices about worshiping God. Do you know that? One, you can fall down and worship the Lord here and now. Or, you will fall down and worship at the great white throne judgment. There's only two choices. You could say, well, I don't want either one of those. Well, I'm sorry. That's not the way any of this works. You're either going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ before you take your last breath here, or you will bow down and worship at the great white throne judgment. Paul said in Philippians 2.10, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And by laying down their golden crowns again, they're testifying only because of you, Lord. Nothing I did. It's only by your grace. And then the last one, D, the victory belongs to and comes from the Lord. Again, it's only by his grace that we receive any reward because he's worthy. And so we cast him down. So what Wearsby said, in order to give up his rights and have the joy of winning lost souls, Paul had to discipline himself. There in your notes. That is the emphasis of this entire chapter. Rights must be balanced by discipline. All right, and number four. Bring my body into submission. Look at verse 26. 
Paul says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Notice he starts out with, I run not with uncertainty. You see, Paul knew exactly whom he believed in. He knew whom he served, and he knew why he lived the way he lived. You know, some people don't know if they're coming or going. You look around at the world today, and I mean, people don't know where they're going or how they're going to get there, but they just know they're in a hurry to get there, right? It's like that Alabama song, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun, right? All I really got to do is live and die, and I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Some people just go through the motions day after day after day. They're in such a hurry to get here, get there, get in the parking lot. You stole my parking spot. Get groceries, get home, go to bed, do it again. I mean, that's been our world since COVID. I don't know if you've noticed that, but driving, you're taking your own life in your hands lately. I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I got to really do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I've crucified self, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There in your notes... Paul had an internal perspective, so he counted this life as dead, and his new life was going to be lived for Christ's kingdom. And and then notice this, thus I fight as one who beats the air. What's he talking about? You ever hold a four-year-old back with one hand as he's doing this? (laughs) He's beating the air, right? That's exactly what Paul's saying. They say when the champion returned home back in the Grecian Olympics that his own dog couldn't recognize him because boxing was such a brutal sport. His own dog couldn't recognize him. And why would Paul then use boxing to talk about the Christian life? Because one who beats the air is someone who's wasting time. You're you're wasting time. And Paul said, I'm so committed to giving up my rights because I know soon and very soon I'm going home to be with the Lord. And when I do, I don't want my life to just be lip service. That I've lived it for no reason whatsoever. One who beats the air. I have a purpose. I have a call in my life. And I'm going to live for that call. I'm intentional about why I do what I do. You know, as Jesus would say, Come into me, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all I care about. I, I don't care what this world has for me. It has nothing that I want. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't be a Christian who just beats the air. There in your notes, J. Vernon McGee said, Paul said he was not shadow boxing. He's not playing at this thing. Catch this. He's not playing church. To truly experience the abundant life, we must live Jesus on purpose, out loud. Stop fighting for the things of this world. I rush and rush until life's no fun. I'm beating the air. I'm boxing in the air. Die to this world. 
We don't have to look too hard, especially this week, to realize there's a war going on, right? And to truly follow Jesus Christ, it's going to cost us everything we have. You know, when someone offered me Jesus, they didn't tell me what it was truly going to cost. Basically, they told me if I give my life to Jesus Christ, everything was going to be roses, right? Everything's going to be cotton candy, and things are going to be so easy. I'm still waiting on the cotton candy, by the way. But Paul, like a good boxer, he knew he had to stand firm. And he knew he had to do things on purpose. And a a Christian is to stand firm with self-control and train hard. And knowing the trials of this life, if we do them in Christ, will last till till the last round's over. And like Paul told Timothy, and then we will receive that imperishable crown that's reserved in heaven for me. Paul said, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. This life is over but I got my crown. And and then real quick, notice become disqualified is not speaking of losing your salvation, but it's rather not completing the task. How would you like to know that when you got to heaven, you were this close to completing the task that Jesus had for you? Well done, my good and faithful servant, you were this close. Ouch. Ouch. Wiersbe said at the Greek games there was a herald, who would announce the names of the contestants in the cities of the winners, and they would also announce those who were disqualified. Imagine that. Paul saw himself as not only a herald, but a runner as well. He was so concerned to get busy to help others run in that race that he was willing to ignore his rights so that he wouldn't become disqualified. Only one runner in those Grecian games, only one, would get the olive wreath crown in the Greek games, but every believer of Jesus Christ gets the incorruptible crown. So let's get practical really quick this morning. Again, the people from Lilliput, right? But Rich, they dress different than I do. They like that nasty modern music. I don't like it. And they don't know good politics whatsoever. And they disagree with everything I had to say but they need the gospel. So can we, can we put aside how they're dressed for just a minute? And, and then God will convince them what kind of politics they should have. Can we do that? See them get saved? You know, I've often said that I think every Christian ought to spend, and it's not possible theologically, so don't come throw stones at me, but I think every Christian ought to spend about 30 seconds in hell. Because I think if we were to spend 30 seconds in hell, and see what it really looks like to be completely absent of God where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We would never want our worst enemy to go there. And so how can we reach these people with the good news of the gospel? Paul remembered where he came from, but he also knew who his commander-in-chief was, and he knew his marching orders. And so Paul was ready to preach the gospel no matter what. And if you remember, when the Lord instructed Ananias to go to Paul after his conversion, this is what it said, Acts 9.15, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So what is our universal call, Christian? Paul was called specifically to do something, but you're called as well. And what's that call? It's Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're all called to be witnesses, not only of the free gift of salvation, but what God has done to change us. And so there's three points as we close. First one there in your notes, because Paul was convinced of his call to preach the gospel, he became a servant to all to accomplish that mission. How are you feeling this morning, slaves? I told you, you don't want to be a servant of Christ when someone treats you like a slave. It's a good way to prove it. Second one, because Paul was convinced of his call to preach the gospel, he met people where they were in life. Again, verse 20. To the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, that I might win those under the law. You know, anytime I give my testimony, depending on the person and the situation they're going on, I tell that part of my testimony. And it's not that I'm lying or holding something back. I'm not hiding my past. But I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to know where that person is. You know, someone wants to talk about, you know, a dysfunctional family. Okay. Someone wants to talk about leaving the business world to go in full-time ministry. Okay. So depending on where that person is, I use that part of my testimony. And that's what Paul's kind of talking about. I become all things to all men that by some means I might win some. I might win some. My goal is not to change people's culture whatsoever. That's not my problem. You know, the way some of these kids dress nowadays, no, that's not my problem. You know, the music that you listen to, that's not my problem. My problem is to be a witness for Christ. Because you get saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It has nothing to do with the kind of car you're driving. And the reason I do any of this is the same reason Paul did it last there in your notes. Because Paul was convinced of his call to preach the gospel, he ran in a way that he might please the Lord and receive a prize. We don't follow entertainment or want to look good simply because we want to improve ourselves. As Jay Vernon said, Paul was not shadowboxing. He's not playing at this thing. He's not playing church. Self-effort never pleases the Lord, but neither does laziness. The Lord deserves excellence in all that we do in our worship, in our service, in our evangelism. But remember, you're simply a co-laborer with the Holy Spirit. If he doesn't move, it's no good whatsoever. Paul believed this so much that he was willing to die to his own rights and discipline himself. And, and I wonder how we're doing with discipline. It's one of those words no one likes to hear in church. But in order to receive the abundant life, it takes discipline. You got to work out those muscles. You know, so what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do with your Christian walk? What are you sitting back? What are you afraid of? That's my question for us this morning. What are we so afraid of being a sold out believer? I don't want to be a Jesus freak. I do. I want to be a Jesus freak because only one life, right, will soon pass. But only those things that are done for Christ will last. Be a Jesus freak. See how crazy it is. See if you can give up on yourself for just a minute and live and, and test Jesus. You know, I know we're told not to test the Lord, right? Only a couple of times God says, test me in this. But test God in this. 
if the abundant life truly comes, if fulfillment truly comes, living full out 100% for him, test him in that. And I tell you what, money back guarantee, I'll give you a money back guarantee. If you give your whole life to Jesus and you live 100% for him and you're not fulfilled doing it, come see me and I'll give you your money back. How's that? Not that you gave me money to start with, so that's good. <laughs> I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Every week there's people in the back who would love to pray with you. But that's my challenge for you. It is As you see these crazy things unfolding, we're kind of reading the book of Revelation in the newspaper almost every day, right? And God's coming soon. I'm not setting a time, but soon and very soon we're going home to be with the Lord. Try living for Him. Try denying yourself this week. And at the end of the week, if it doesn't work, come on back. I'll take you out to lunch and give you a money-back guarantee, I promise you. But I'm going to tell you what, if you live for the Lord, full on, you're going to come back and tell me I was right. And not because I say so, but because God says so. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Lord, help us to run in such a way to win the prize. Lord, we don't run in such a way to win salvation. You gave that freely. Through the, though it cost your son Jesus Christ everything, you gave it to us totally free of charge. But God, now, as a response, because we love you and we trust you and we believe what you say, help us to run full out, Lord God, for you this morning. This week, Lord, help us to set ourselves aside and test you in this. God, we trust you. So what a test. I can't wait to see what you do with your people this week who willingly die to themselves and live for you. So God, bless us. Help us to worship you now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.